Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's episode, we are talking, of course, about the Israeli and Palestinian conflict, which comes as we pass International Day of the Girl Child. We also look at some timely research showing that financial stress is one of the main triggers of poor mental health for Australian women. And we promise to share a couple of bright spots in today's episode as well. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 12th of October, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley, joining you from Gadigal Land. And as usual, I'm joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda editor, Tala Lambert. Hello, Tala. Hey, Ange. How's it going? Going okay. I might say this is Thursday that we are recording this and everything is moving so fast at the moment. So Mm. a lot could have changed by the time people get listening. And of course, on Saturday, we do have the referendum. So... I mean, I imagine a lot will change. Uh, in the next couple of days, yeah. We we do want to note that. I believe that you've voted early, Tyler, and I'll be voting early today as well because we I have did. our events in Melbourne tomorrow. I did vote early and it was a relief to vote, but it's just looking really sad at the moment. And to be honest, I don't really see any way for the yes vote to, to come through and, and for the voice to pass, which is is really upsetting. And I can only imagine how so many Indigenous communities and, and particularly, you know, those advocates that have been entrenched in this for so long, Noel Pearson, Marsha Langton, Megan Davis, Pat Dodson, when we think about these people that have literally committed their lives to gaining constitutional recognition and, and this is what we're staring down the barrel of, it is really it's really heartbreaking and I have just felt that immensely this week uh Mm. what about yourself yeah no I feel that sadness as well of course you know it it hasn't come to pass yet so there is always possibilities I guess and we are relying on polling and we know how polling can go very very wrong and particularly this sort of polling on a referendum which hasn't happened in 20 odd years in Mm. Australia so I feel you know we we, we don't necessarily need to 100% rely on that but of course it, it it doesn't look good for the yes campaign and for me there is the sadness and I think a lot of it comes down to um what you said about you know some of these different people involved and particularly Indigenous women and we see how much they take on and um, we see some of the you know the racist attacks that they've experienced and the misogyny that they experience and it's like just sort of open air and it's all there on social media and what I feel most uh, sad about and I think it comes into some of the other things that we'll discuss today as well is just seeing how siloed that we're becoming just seeing the, the language that gets used across uh, social media just um, how difficult it can be to have conversations about this when you're firmly in one camp or the other, how it sort of feels like we're kind of following the US political trend in a way, particularly when it comes to misinformation and really kind of expanding out on like particularly with the voice when you see just complete myths about what the voice would do and how yeah. that gets traction across socials and and uh, what what that is doing to our, our democratic institutions so that, that's kind of the sadness I feel I am going to try and hold um I mean there's the hope for I guess the, the you know the, the the yes victory but also the hope that uh, regarding what might come next, uh, we'll, we'll obviously need to have those conversations pretty immediately, but we need to find some ways to have some hope and some optimism and some ideas and some tactics in terms of how we yeah. get those. I think we might need to also start by looking ourselves pretty sharply in the mirror about what this has brought up in Australia and what it says about our 
identity and and where we you know how we perceive our first nations people and and you know what the the immense barriers are there because it has it has kind of turned into an ugly turbulent debate and yeah look there is a case for optimism i actually read recently one of the clinching votes they're expecting of undecided voters will be women over 40 and i think that's really interesting as well so for all the women over 40 listening to this podcast do as adam briggs says and just google it and be informed about your vote on on saturday and and make the right call so we want to share some wins as well. I, I promise bright spots. So Tom, <laughs> give me yours first of all. My bright spot this week is actually really exciting, I think. And as a small business owner, female small business owner, I think it's great to see this kind of progress. So the VC fund, Alia Via, has just launched and it's only investing in companies with at least one female co-founder, a rule that runs very, very sharply against the trend of VCs distributing capital overwhelmingly to men. You wrote a piece about this this week, Ange, and we'll be following up with the founder of this company as well. But, you know, incredibly just 2% of US $238 billion allocated by VCs in 2022 went to all female founded teams, according to PitchBook. So this is this is really much needed progress. We know there are huge gaps and we know being in the space that we're in and reporting on female-owned businesses every single day, that there is so much incredible talent in Australia alone, but, you know, the rest of the world, and it's going unrecognised. They're not able to to get the kind of investment that's needed to scale. And, and, you know, like just last week when we reported on that LinkedIn top founders list or the top startups of 2023, and, you know, there's only one female co-founder on it, we know that you know, that's just not representative of truth and and what the talent is out there and, and what we need to, to do. But it is it is absolutely true that they're not getting the, the funding that they need. And and um and so this is really welcome, I think. So the fund itself, Aliavia, is backed by high profile Australian investors, including Carol Schwartz, Robin Denham, and Cynthia Scott. And it is so far based in in California, but launching here, I believe. And is that is that right? Yeah. So so they do, and they do invest in. They will invest in Australian companies. So that's one of the things that was quite interesting about it that it is this Australian American um, idea between the two, and it's Australian American founders. Um, so that's where that link, I presume, comes from. Obviously, they are Australian investors, but they also have links to the US as well, particularly with Robin Denham being the um, chair of Tesla. So it's um, it's interesting in that the US link, I think, is great as well because it gives um, that potential of scale. You know, yeah. the US market is huge. And so to have that kind of link to VC fund who can support with that, I think, is Really interesting. And I mean, you mentioned those numbers there and I look at it for Australia and look at the report from last year and it was something like 3% of funding went to um, all female founded companies and you get to like 10% or something for companies with at least one female founder. It just... It just is so uh, doesn't make any sense, and yeah. and then you look at some of the research and data that shows that you know having at least one female founder actually leads to stronger results later on. So it doesn't make sense, and I think often it comes down to you know some of the all male teams really pursuing possible 
businesses that may, maybe maybe women are launching different businesses and they're not seen as attractive to VC funds in that way because you know maybe they're to do with issues that don't involve mm. fintech or crypto or, I don't know but, um, so. yeah but I suspect there's just still like really obvious kind of unconscious bias going on as well you know and I one thing like just a quick note so I was watching Shark Tank this week and this 23 year old founder of this like disposable camera company came in and she was unreal like presented so beautifully like had the best pitch her product was already you know making like this shit ton of money I I was so impressed by her but I just noticed that the feedback from the male sharks was just all about like how she didn't really quite construe the number like didn't really know the numbers properly and maybe if she had a team behind her of finance experts that would be able to like you know articulate that better this is not coming across on the show at all by the way like you know when she's describing her numbers and and what's the revenue she's been making it didn't at at all translate like she didn't have an idea about finance obviously she's 23 years old so maybe it's limited but it was just interesting that feedback and I was kind of thinking about it I was like if it was a male 23 year old founder similar kind of business would they be getting that same feedback and maybe but like I suspect that there's still quite a lot of that kind of unconscious bias of looking at women and and feeling like they need advice in certain more male dominated or historically more male dominated areas um, Mm. before they can make their business thrive um so anyway that was just one quick kind of like takeaway that I I was just thinking about afterwards and you know if it wasn't the case and that wasn't unconscious bias that's that's fine but I do think that that probably exists quite a lot um Mm. In you should write a story world. about that. I don't. I haven't watched Shark Tank, so I have to go and go and have a look. But uh, you should. Yeah, it was just something that kind of like I don't know. It reverberated in my head a little bit because I was like, I just don't feel like if a twenty-three-year-old dude got up and articulated himself in the same way that she was able to, that she, he would have copped that same kind of feedback. That that almost like slightly condescending yeah. feedback, particularly yeah. when she was clearly doing very impressive yeah things. yeah and, and a sense also that maybe there was a skill that she had in communicating that it was excelling in a different way as well and yeah. so can't that be noted like would the male founder go and get told that well you don't bring enough of you know such and such skill and get called out for that so mm. yeah interesting I will have to check it out but I yeah. will get to my win um which I am really happy about in fact this like made me smile so much seeing this come up yesterday as an update um announced by the prime minister but it is Cheng Lee returning to Australia after being detained in Beijing for three years. So Cheng Lee, she's a journalist. She's a former television presenter. She's also a mother. She's got two kids at home in Melbourne and we just can't imagine what this period would have been like for her over, you know, this this three or so years. And I I loved her quote. She talked about tight hugs, teary Mm. screams, holding my kids in the spring sunshine, trees shimmy from the breeze. That was her statement on arriving home and saying that she can see entirety of the sky now and thank you, Aussies. I heard Claire O'Neill this morning. She described it as a moment of sunshine and I think mm. the sunshine analogy and what um, you know, Cheng Li said there herself is really pressing because a few months back Cheng Li wrote this love letter to Australia and spoke about getting just 10 hours of sunshine a year in the prison where she's detained. So she's been through months of solitary isolation, which is basically designed to push for a confession in the Chinese legal system. And then she got moved to that prison that was just allowing that 10 hours of sunlight a year. 
And overall, it's just, it's a great story because, uh, you know, she's coming home, she's seeing her kids again. And the, it's a win for diplomacy and, you know, particularly for Foreign Minister Penny Wong, who has been hard at work with this effort and often quietly behind the scenes. We probably don't even know how much she's put yeah. into this. It's so sensitive and delicate and they, they would have had to just keep pushing and pushing and raising the case constantly at every opportunity. And Penny Wong and the Prime Minister have done this and that's the result. So it's a really good thing and a happy moment. Yeah, amazing. It was, yeah, I agree with you. I think when you very enthusiastically wrote that on the Slack channel, the team Slack channel yesterday, I think you wrote, Chang Lee's been released with various exclamation points, Um, which, yeah, I think it is just, it's so, it's so heartwarming to see her home um, with her kids and well done to the Australian government for, for kind of making that happen. Good Mm. news story. So on to the next story today, and we obviously need to take a look at the oddly horrendous events that are playing out in Gaza. As the conflict continues to escalate, health officials and Israeli medical services have reported at least 1,000 Palestinians and 1,200 Israelis have been killed, while more than 2,500 have been wounded. And Israel has declared it plans to impose a total blockade on Gaza, including a ban on the transportation of food and fuel. Caught in the midst of this bloody conflict, we think of the innocent Israeli and Palestinian children affected, especially as International Day of the Girl Child has just passed by us this week. And it's a time to consider the additional hurdles girls face, especially from the threat multipliers to their safety and economic security from the climate crisis and from conflicts like this. The projected blockade could put girls at further risk of violence, so being unable to access food, water and resources that they desperately need and they're missing out on school and taking on more unpaid care and domestic work. And this one's really sat heavy this week, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, I mean, of course it has. And, and, you know, I don't even want to say both sides necessarily. It feels so divisive even to say that. But like, obviously what happened in Israel, it's just so horrific and disgusting to see that violence. And I'm also very mindful of what is happening in Palestine right now and has been happening as well. And how people and women and children get caught up in these, uh, in this conflict and these awful situations too. It really lays heavy. It is, it is so sad. It's so difficult to comprehend the numbers that we're already talking about, which have, um, I would, I think have gone up since what you mentioned there, Tala, and will continue to go up. It's just, it's so hard to fathom that and to think about, you know, what will happen to, what, 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 what we'll see in Palestine over the coming weeks or so where innocent people will get caught up in that, which is, you know, just the reality of being in that tight geographic space in one of the most densely populated places on the planet. Of course, civilians are going to die there. It's it's awful to comprehend and, um, and think about. I, I really want to note about the International Day of the Girl because... I mean, that's a a time to really think about how conflict and climate-related disasters, how food shortages, how pandemics, how all of it really impact on girls in a very particular way um, Mm. that may not be impacting to the same extent on boys. And what that means is, you know, girls are left out of school, girls can be at greater risk of gender-based violence, Girls can be at greater risk of child marriage when the situation just gets so desperate and the family needs an option. And girls can be at risk of obviously taking on more of that unpaid care and domestic work that can lead to less opportunities for them 
later on. And I think it's really important to note because once again, we, you know, we'll talk about the day of the girl child and we'll talk about like on International Women's Day, we'll always talk about the progress that's been made and look at, you know, how many girls are getting education now and that kind of thing. But, you know, the reality is all this sets that backwards. So the World Economic Forum, you know, predicted that we have 131 years to wait for gender equity. But I mean, as you know, Tyler and I, I know you and I have discussed that we need to factor in that it may not be a matter of waiting 131 years. I mean, we'd love Mm. to get there sooner, but then at the same time, it may never happen if, you know, things just keep setting things backwards. Mm. So yeah, I just think it's good to note that 1.1 billion girls internationally and we need to invest in those girls. We need to consider the added impact of these situations on girls from the yeah. outset. I mean, how about just not having to deal with these situations in the first place? Nobody, you know, nobody should nobody should be having to be caught up in this at all. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, people are and will be, and it's it's just weighing heavily on my mind, especially with what's going on there. And then you know, we've got to also think about. We can look at, you know, the really, those conflict areas that are really hitting the news. Um, But then, of course, we've still got the Russian invasion of Ukraine still occurring. We've had the recent earthquakes in Afghanistan where three quarters of those who have died have been women and girls already under the Taliban rule that have basically stolen the last of their rights as well. Um, We also have to consider sub-Saharan Africa and um, some of the, you know, continued, um, you know, often climate-related issues going on there, um, resulting in in hunger. And, and famine in some ways and those run on impacts particularly on girls again because they cop so much of it in and terms of the, the worst possible um, yeah. issues and the things that we're trying to really close out on including access to education free from gender-based violence and obviously free from um from forced marriage especially yeah I mean I think that's a really good pertinent point you raise that people need to think about particularly people in privileged western societies need to think about but that idea that as these crises escalate so climate crisis and conflict crisis poverty as that escalates which it will because particularly something like climate change we know that it's only increasing when like we're looking at this and going oh there's 131 years that's a long time to wait for gender equity. But the reality is that if we don't get a, a hold on that quickly and, and um, if we don't start paying some real attention and putting deploying some real resources to these issues, then we are really at, at risk of, of that propelling way backwards. Yes. Um, it, it could take 231 years, it could take 2,000 years. Like, I mean, yeah. who really knows? Um, yeah. And so, you know, the, we, we miss, everyone misses out because this absolutely. is our future. This is our potential. This is our future leaders, our, you know, future community builders. We only win from investing in girls. So just, yeah. you know, and we only win from keeping girls safe as well. So, Tyler, I know that we do need to wrap up. We did want to just quickly note that uh, this week was also World Mental Health Day, so particularly pertinent this week as well, given everything that's going on and to be mindful of that, what your team members and colleagues and clients might be carrying around you as well, what your family members and friends are carrying. But we had some timely research from the Liptember Foundation, which has shown that financial stress is one of the main triggers of poor mental health for Australian women. So that was with more than half of Australian women saying increased cost of living pressures and negatively impacting their mental health with one third unable to afford the support they need. And that their 2023 research also found that 35% of respondents of women listed financial stress and cost of living 
as a trigger for depression, while 36% said it triggered anxiety. So um, we wanted to quickly raise that story at the end of this <laughs> podcast today. Obviously, there was so much we can um, unpack there, Tyler. I know that you won't get much time, but um, I think it's good to have these stats out there because we can really, um, you know, how, consider the, the consequences of mm. uh, financial stress and the consequences of the cost of living and keep that in mind and how it yeah. is particularly impacting women. I mean, we've seen that in recent times and with our own kind of research into women's health and women's ambitions, you know, we know that 77% based on our research this year of, of women are, are kind of contending with burnout or they're, they're feeling like they're likely to experience burnout. There are so many complicated, complex issues at play at the moment um, that are exacerbating this issue. And obviously it's, as you say, it's good to have this kind of research out there so that we can be mindful of it. Employers can be mindful of what they need to do. And, and you know, we can be mindful in terms of our own communities and, and families and friendship groups um, in, in how we kind of uh, navigate that and make sure that we're, we're there for each other. And um, I just also want to add to that quickly, particularly off the back of the referendum on Saturday, if we are facing a, a, a no result, I really really hope that Australians can rally together and and try to be there for each other as much as possible. There are going to be a lot of very hurt people and we need to show up for each other. We absolutely do. So thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast and final little note there on the need for kindness. So be kind to your colleagues and friends and family and uh, just be kind to the strangers and people you don't know and especially uh, you know those when we have really strong emotions to different sides of issues I think we really really need a call for kindness right now so thank you for listening a reminder that you can uh, catch up on all these stories and much more and everything that we discuss here on women's agenda and you can subscribe to our lunchtime daily updates we you will get the stories as we report on them and also we'll be giving you much more of a better update around exactly what you need to know in the news Thank you for listening.